Merry Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. I hope that you've sung that song more times than you can count. You've sung it yourself, and although the song was written by 18th century composer Isaac Watts, you've probably heard it sung from everyone from Bing Crosby to Mariah Carey. Sometimes we hear these Christmas carols so much that we could just sing them in our sleep, and there's something evidently about the news that a child born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago has continued to spread joy around the world, even to this day. According to the first verse, this joyful news invites three things to happen. First of all, earth is to receive her king. Earth could use a king, one who is holy, just, merciful, and righteous, one who will rule the world with truth and grace. One who sees the darkness of sin and death and evil and walks toward them instead of away from them. A king who walks towards the messes and intends fully to put the world to rights. One who is worthy to put the world to rights. That's the kind of king we need. But the song also invites every heart to prepare him room Evidently, this king who was born this day in the city of David doesn't just want to be an abstract king ruling from a far-off throne with little or no knowledge of the people that he's ruling. No, this king wants to set up his throne in the most unlikely of places, our hearts. He doesn't just want justice and mercy for us. He wants justice and mercy from us. He wants us to live like he is on the throne. He wants us to embrace that kind of freedom. And he knows that our hearts are far too dark for that sort of righteousness to be of our own making. You see, sin and death and evil have infected us with a curse, like the song says, a curse of our own making. But this king comes to make his blessings flow out as far as that curse is found. You see, to truly embrace holiness and righteousness and justice and mercy, it will have to be by power ruling in our hearts if only we could make room for him. And as earth receives this sort of king who sets up his throne room in the hearts of his people, That is what allows heaven and nature to sing. I love how that song repeats that three times, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. I love that the reason why this is such an important line is because that for the first time, heaven and nature weren't just singing, they were singing together. You see, I know... You've got places to go and people to see. I hope that you'll all have an exciting 
Christmas Eve and joyful, uh, a joyful Christmas morning and a big Christmas dinner. I, I know I will. But before we do that, um, would you allow me just a few minutes to share with you the story of why heaven and nature were singing that night when Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. As I'm sure you've noticed, I've I've placed candy canes in each pew there to kind of remind us of uh, the staff used by the shepherds as they kept watch over their flock by night. Um, But they also might remind us of a few other things that you could pick up on as we tell the story. You see, once upon a time, heaven and nature were one. God created them that way right from the start. And because heaven and earth were one, the things that were true of heaven were true of earth. We might think of heaven as God's space and earth as our space, but but in the beginning, they were unified. Humanity was created by God to have dominion over the nature that God had created. And dominion is a very important job, you see. To have dominion over something means that you love it, you care for it, you steward it. To have dominion over something means that you protect it. God cared for humanity. Just as God cared for humanity, humanity was supposed to care for nature. What is nature, you ask? Well, nature is everything you see and a whole bunch of things that you can't see. Nature is the earth, the ground, the plants, the animals, the forests, the deserts, the mountains, the oceans. And nature was also each other. Our friends, our marriages, our communities, our children. As God cared for us, we care for each other. And there was no difference, once upon a time, between loving God and loving others. It was like both practices used the same muscles. It wouldn't be right to call this world perfect. Perfect might imply um, something that's kind of done or completed. Instead, we should think of this world, this union of heaven and earth, as dynamic, as alive, as thriving. But one day, a very bad thing happened. Humanity decided that it didn't just want dominion anymore. It wanted dominance. It didn't want to just care for nature. It wanted to control it. Humanity wanted to exploit nature for its own selfish reasons because it forgot about God who was the source of all good things. You might say that humanity rebelled against God. And this is what caused the separation of heaven and earth. Left to its own devices, humanity swelled with greed and corruption What started as simple rule-breaking soon turned to much darker sins as humanity drifted farther and farther away from God. Before long, there were none alive who remembered what things were like before the fall, and they attempted to solve what they saw as the problems of nature with things like war and lust and exploitation and greed. In short, sin had entered the picture and created distance between heaven and earth. Now, you might be wondering why God didn't just do something. Why didn't he ask the people to come back into proper relationship with him? Well, there is something that we have to say about God before we go any further. 
We have to use a word that gets thrown around in a lot of churches, and that's the word holy. God, you see, is holy. What does holy mean? Well, it could mean good or pure or maybe perfect or, or set apart. Holiness is a, is a very good and precious thing that our holy God wants holiness for his people. If his people were holy once again, that they could come back into, into relationship with him, into union with him. The problem there is that sin had so infected and cursed the human race that they couldn't shake it off. Sin hurt the people that God cared the most about, and therefore sin needed to be defeated. It needed to be saved from sin. And like most stories, when something needs saving, this is when the hero comes in. You see, in this story, God is the hero. And he decides that he wants to start a rescue mission to save the world. The thing about God, though, is that he likes to play the long game. It's not just, he's not just interested in snapping his fingers and putting everything right again. That evidently wouldn't be the holy thing to do. No, instead, God begins to call a people set apart to follow his lead so that through them the whole world would be blessed and reunited with God. The story of Israel makes up the rest of what we call the Old Testament. It's a story of God working through generation after generation, teaching humanity how to be one with their God once again. The story of Israel tells the story of the patriarchs, the prophets, the preachers, and kings. Some of them, some of them try very hard to follow after their God but, and be the people that God desires them to be. But sadly, all of them fall short. Israel are still a people of sin. But when they sin, they're, they're taught to do kind of a peculiar thing. They're taught to go to the temple, which was seen by them as the intersection between heaven and earth and sacrifice a precious animal for their sin. This sacrifice atoned for their sin and therefore created an opportunity for worship. It was a moment when heaven and earth were closer than before. Sin was still very present and still creating distance between humanity its and creator, but Israel was supposed to be a light to other nations, a light that shone that God was about the business of putting that world back together again. The problem was that Israel soon forgot that it was supposed to be the rescue mission. This went on for centuries, but throughout the story of Israel, is the undercurrent that God is about to do something great through them. One day there will be one who will be anointed by God himself to be the, the patriarch and the prophet and the preacher and the king, all wrapped up into one. The prophet Isaiah puts it this way, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
That's tremendous news. It's going to take one heck of a guy to pull that off, though. And Israel assumed that somebody who would have would get to do all of that, well, they would have to be like a great and conquering king, right? Especially considering that they were occupied by something as powerful as the Roman Empire. They wanted this powerful Messiah to sweep into the land and conquer the empire and establish his rule and reign to dominate all, to give those bad guys what they deserved. You see, Israel thought this because they forgot the whole story. They forgot they weren't called to dominate through control and power. They were called to have dominion through justice and caring and mercy. The prince of peace would not ascend to the throne through violence and war. He would instead do so with meekness and gentleness. He would enter the world not as a conquering king, but as a child, a very special child. Remember what we said about the temple being the intersection of the heaven and earth. The funny thing is that the New Testament writers describe Jesus with the same language. Like, like Jesus was a walking temple. Like he is a walking, talking personification of the intersection of heaven and earth. You see, he wasn't just one heck of a guy. He was God in flesh. Fully human and fully divine fully committed to solving the fundamental problem that humanity had suffered from since the fall. Jesus' mission was to conquer sin, death, and evil once and for all and begin the process of reunifying heaven and earth. The image on the cover of your bulletin is everything you need to know for a theology of Christmas. That's it. Where once heaven and earth were apart, God bridges the divide in Jesus and creates the path towards reconciliation, redemption, and resurrection. Because, spoiler alert, Jesus grows up. He lives a sinless life and dies a sinner's death on the cross, all to be the ultimate once and for all sacrifice, defeating sin and death and evil. Let every heart prepare him room and let earth receive that kind of king. That's the invitation that God has for you and for me this Christmas. When you allow Jesus in and allow him to have dominion over the throne of your heart, two very special things happen. Number one, holiness becomes your inheritance. Because you've truly trusted in his righteousness, not your own. And number two, you now become part of the rescue mission to save the world. Remember what I said about God walking towards the messes. Well, when Christ lives on the throne of our heart, he invites us to do the same. We are then ambassadors of Christ called to live out a life ministry of reconciliation to a world that's far from God. How do we do this? We do this through proclaiming the gospel, by serving the poor, by cultivating a culture of discipleship, by serving and protecting the world through dominion, not dominance, and standing for justice and mercy, even when it seems that all hope is lost. The true meaning of Christmas is that hope is never lost.
Darkness will never find the fi- have the final word because God isn't far away. God is here and now. And he's inviting you to come home. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Let me pray for us. Father, I give you praise for this Christmas. I give you praise for this time that we get as a family to gather around this manger and celebrate the truth that when there was none, when it seemed that all hope was lost, you put on flesh and became fully human, fully divine, lived that sinless life, died that sinner's death, and paid the penalty to reconcile us back to you. Father, help us understand what our specific call is this evening. Help to, to, to whisper into our ears the things that you would have us hear this Christmas, to understand this wild mystery of the, of the incarnation of God setting up his uh, shop here, of God being in the here and now. Help us to hear that, Father. Help us to hear how you're speaking um, to us and what you would have for our lives and for our families and for our communities and for our city because this world is so broken. It is so dark Help us be the light. Give us your strength. Give us your courage. Give us your truth. It's the most holy name of Jesus Christ. I ask all of these things. Amen.